Hello, and welcome to On the Marie Curie Couch, the podcast that aims to break down taboos and start open, honest conversations about death and dying. I'm Jason Davidson. I'm a social worker by profession, and I've worked in palliative care, hospice care, and bereavement support services for more than a decade. Each episode, we'll be speaking to a well-known guest to find out about how they feel about their own mortality and how their personal experience of bereavement has shaped the way they live their life. Today, I'm back on the Marie Curie couch with returning guest, Jane Horrocks. Jane is an actress, singer and comedian. Born and raised in Lancashire, she charmed the nation as Bubble in TV sitcom Absolutely Fabulous and has starred in films including Life is Sweet, Little Voice and Sunshine on Leaf. Jane was originally a guest on this podcast back in April 2020 when she described the profound effect the death of her dad had on her and she spoke honestly about her mum's Alzheimer's diagnosis. Jane lives in the southeast and has two grown-up children. Well, Jane Horrocks, welcome back to the Marie Curie Couch. Thank you very much. It's nice to be back. <laughs> How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Good. Um, the last time we spoke, we spoke about we spoke quite a bit about your dad's death, um, and also at the time. I mean, this was back in kind of it was almost three years actually um, to the month um, since we last spoke, and at the time. Um, your mum was in a nursing home, care home, um, and she had Alzheimer's, and we spoke about that as well, and all of those losses associated with that. I understand your mum's died since then, and I wonder if we could start by you just telling me about your mum's death. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Well, my mum died in October, 2nd of October in 2021, and... Um, I mean, it, it kind of was expected. It wasn't imminent, but it was expected. And um, I think um, the wonderful thing about my mum's passing is that I was able to be with her. And um, and that was kind of a fluke situation in that um, I was just about to start a job and I was trying to work out when I could go and see my mum before I started this job. So I thought, oh, actually, I'm going to go and see her this weekend before I start on the Monday. Uh, and the care home had said she was sort of deteriorating, but not not in a in a death situation. And so um, I went up there thinking that I'd probably see her again. You know, there would be other times when I'd see her. And uh, when I arrived at the care home, the carer said, actually, she's deteriorated massively, even since this morning. And they said, prepare yourself for seeing her. Actually, when I went into the room, I thought I was going to be frightened, but I wasn't because she was quite sedated, but she was had a real peaceful element to her. And her room was really beautiful. And there was just a sense of peace around the room, which was just really, really beautiful. And um, fortunately, I had like a good 20 minutes with her on my own where I could just kind of speak to her on my own. And then my brother and his wife and my auntie arrived. For my auntie, I think, has seen quite a lot of death. 
her people near near to death said, I don't think she's ready to go yet because she didn't have a deathly pallor. Um, and uh, so she said, you know, we could actually be waiting days for her to go. Um, and so we just kind of like chatted normally and we're just, you know, sort of kind of chatting amongst ourselves. And within two hours of, of me arriving, she did then die. Um, my brother was about to leave and go home because he didn't, you know, he didn't think that she was going to pass at any moment. And uh, he was kind of getting his gear together to go. And then she started to breathe slower uh, and the the intervals between each breath were longer and longer. And then she just took her last breath. And having never experienced death before, it was it was really kind of reassuring because it was so peaceful. And in this room, as I say, it was just kind of utterly beautiful. So glad to hear you have that experience. Yeah, so am I. I mean, it, you know, her face just looked lineless. That's what I remember the most about her is that she didn't seem to have a line on her face. Her face was like alabaster. And um, yeah, it's just like she just went to sleep. So there was you, your brother and your auntie. And your auntie, if I recall from when we last spoke, that was your mum's sister. That's right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what happened afterwards? I mean, not directly after your mum died, but I suppose in the days afterwards, how, how was that? What happened directly afterwards was quite interesting. Um, I'd read a book by Viv Albertine, who was in a band called The Slits, and it was about her mum's death and her relationship with her father. And in the book, it talks about her and her sister having a physical fight over her mum who was dying. And, um, I mean, literally, you know, hitting each other. And I talked about that to my brother whilst my mum was still alive in the room, kind of laughing about it, really. But when my mum did die, I kind of went into huge shock and didn't really know what to do and um, became quite hysterical, I suppose. And um, I wanted to play a piece of music. Um, she loved Handel's Messiah and I wanted to play that music and just to be with her and play that music. But the carers kind of asked us if we'd leave the room whilst they could kind of, you know, lay my mum out and wash her. And I didn't want to leave the room. So um, me and my brother had a bit of a, a shout off in the room, which was not ideal. And I did, well, I kind of shouted for my right to stay. It was just kind of unfortunate that the carers sort of didn't say, if you want to stay, that's cool. And if you want to leave, that's also okay. And they weren't saying we had to leave forever. We, we could have gone back in after they'd, like I say, laid my mum out. But I, um, it wasn't an ideal scenario. Um, and it was just funny that I'd talked about Yvette Albertine and her sister behaving like that. And then we ended up behaving like that and shouting at each other. Um, and I, it, it was just, um, 
you know, I was, I was in shock. That's why I responded like that. But I also, I didn't want to leave her. Um, and then when I was allowed to stay in the room, I mean, my brother and his wife and my auntie did leave the room and I stayed there and I, I played this piece of music till it finished. And, um, you know, I'm grieved. I, I, you know, I wish I'd have been able to stay longer. I wish that it had been a situation where maybe I, I was invited or we were invited as a family to stay as long as we wanted. Um, and when I hear about other families kind of being allowed that, there's a kind of end there. And I just wish that that had happened for us and it had just been a bit less fraught at that time. And we were all in shock and we were all coming from a place of shock. Um, I mean, sort of thereafter, um, me and my brother, because my eldest brother was away on holiday, so me and my brother, who was in the room when she died as well, um, we, you know, organised the funeral together and chose things and kind of, you know, sort of worked it out. Um, and then, I don't know, I, I kind of just think that there's, as with all families, I think there's a lot of kind of sibling stuff that comes up when a parent dies and um, I find that quite difficult to deal with yeah uh, and sort of what I remember most clearly from my mum's funeral was um, it was my one of my really close friends reading something at the funeral which I'd asked her to read and my daughter singing a song which she'd written for my mum and um, and those are, yeah, kind of what I take away from the funeral. And I'm, I'm glad I've got those moments because, yeah, I just, I'm just glad I had those moments. You know, I was, I was just thinking there about the, the place where someone dies. And so your mum's in the care home. And of course, you know, when anybody goes into the care home, it's not, you're not actually going into someone's house even though it's supposed to be made as homely as possible but there's rules and regulations and then some people are going to be a bit kind of impacted by them in that situations and kind of thinking oh well let the staff do what they need to do let the staff do what they need to do you know we need to get out and I was just thinking how lovely it would have been to be offered a to be to be able to be there longer but also to be given the option of of supporting the staff in laying your mum out and washing her if that was something that you or others would want to do and I'm sure there are some places where that is an option and then some places where it isn't and I think what you just described there about being in shock and you know you and your brother um disagreeing about you know who should stay in the room or not and and that seems totally understandable and and in, in that situation but um but not nice and yeah we're just thinking of the irony of the conversation <laughs> you said just had about the bookie dread and viv albertine i know i mean i think that that's you know i'd heard about you know post my mum passing you know people being invited like you say to participate in the washing of their parent or their loved one um and kind of being present in that preparation um but it just wasn't um 
seemingly an option until I I said actually I won't stay <laughs> if not you know kind of quite angry when I said that I did fight for my place to be there and I'm really glad that I did especially you know kind of knowing that hearing is the last sentence to leave a person that maybe my mum could have heard Handel's Messiah as she was yeah, passing. Do you think that was where some of that initial reaction was coming from, some of that initial anger as well, because actually we haven't got much time and if hearing's the last thing, then actually I want to play this piece of music now. Yeah. 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 How amazing you were there, Jane, as well, and you were all there. Do you have any thoughts or beliefs around that? You know, some people talk about, oh, well, you know, they went at the time because they knew we were there, or the opposite happens when people are there and then they leave the room and then the person dies. I think she was definitely calling to me. It was a calling. And um, I think the fact that she died within two hours of me arriving, I think, you know, she was saying to me, I am going to go soon and I would like you to be there. So come now. This is the day that I want you to come. And it was a Saturday and, and I just, you know, travelled up and it, um, but I, I, I think she wanted me to be there. So, I mean, it was, I'm so grateful for that. I feel so blessed that I was able to receive that calling and hear it and respond to it. And I think that's, to me, just says what a deep connection me and my mum had. But, you know, in the distance, the geographic distance that we are between us, she was able to reach out to me and say, travel now. I remember also last time when we talked and you described your mum, I got the sense that she was a woman who would have fought for her own rights as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was a very... Um, yeah, strong and um, vibrant, uh, uh, wonderful human being, full of amazing energy. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, I think she probably would have um, respected the fact that I fought for my place to be there. Can you tell me a bit more about your experience of grief after your mum died, Jane? Um. Well. Um. I know I just cried a lot and um, I kind of couldn't stop crying. I mean, I, I wrote a lot of poetry and I remember one of my poems was, when will this end? When will I stop crying? And I used to talk to friends and say, when, when will I stop, stop this? Um, and it got quite frightening and I, I, I did think I was going mad because it, it didn't seem to be ceasing and uh i mean eventually it did stop and you know i'm really glad that it did because i think that that is, may well be what other people experience that um that the, the loss is so profound and so huge that you think that you're never ever going to get over it i think that thing you're describing as well about those feelings about going mad or Am I going mad? You know, they're, they're, they're really common and lots of people feel that and experience that. It's a very scary thing. Um, but I think it's 
you know, it, it's part of our works about normalizing grief and about normalizing that and saying, no, that's not about you going mad. Um, you know, it's a, it's a part of the grieving process and it can be incredibly painful and incredibly difficult um, and can last a while. Yeah, and it's, I suppose, it's just trusting that it will get better, which is what friends said to me. They all said that it will get better. There was a, a point where I didn't believe them, but then I did. Well, it did get easier. I know it's soon after, and it's not that long ago since your mum died, but um, how's your experience of bereavement and grief being changed since then and I, I wonder whether it was whether it's been different to the grief you experienced after your dad died um yeah it's very different um I mean I did I did grieve for my dad and you know I I feel like I grieved properly for my dad but I don't think I was well I definitely wasn't as close and connected to my dad as I was to my mom and uh I don't know whether it's just because she's my mom and she gave birth to me. I don't know, but there is a deep, deep connection. And I think when you lose your mom, it's um, it has a profound effect. Um, and um, I still feel like I'm grieving for her. Um, and um, I just feel very um, lost and rootless. I just, I don't have any grandkid anymore. I just, I don't know where I am. I don't know who I belong to or where I belong. Yeah, I just feel really, really lost. Are you able to talk about that with people around you? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I do talk to people. Um, and um, I have therapy for it. Um, and I... I talk to my friends to a certain extent about it. The sadness is I don't talk to my family about it because there's just kind of no invitation to talk about it. And uh, I think my family are very, very closed emotionally. I don't think my mum was. And I think that's what I miss the most about her. I was able to talk about anything to her and to talk about emotions and feelings to her. And there's nobody really in my family um, who I can talk to about feelings. Um, and yeah, there's kind of something quite brutal about that. Not being able to share or being shut down when you do share. In the early days, um, when we lost my mum, my eldest brother ordered me to get better which I thought was quite a good thing at the time. And I thought, oh, good, yes, it's, yeah, he's ordered me to pull myself together, and that's good. I thought, actually, it's not that great because that's just shutting down what I'm actually feeling. And to shut down is just not healthy. So um, I just kind of stopped talking to them about it. About uh, Well, I, I didn't, I never talked to them really about how I truly felt. But, you know, when I did get emotional, that's when... You know, and they they sort of couldn't deal with it, really. Whether it's a northern male thing, I don't know, but it's just a no-go area. 
I think it's just really sad as well, that thing about getting better, almost like there's something wrong with grief and that you've got to get better from it. You need to do it quite quickly. And, and, you know, I think, I think you're right in what you're saying, you know, if you don't, if you don't listen to that, feel what you're feeling, then, you know, the, the risk is what, what, what you're going to sort of suppress and not deal with um which 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 you know may have then longer term effects or um may impact in other ways in our life um you know i think and and also it's so natural and normal to be feeling those feelings that you're describing when your mum's died i wonder jane whether um you didn't say this and i'm saying it and i might be totally wrong but that thing about kind of not feeling grounded or or not um belonging um or not knowing where you belong do you think that comes from losing both parents is there something there about the orphan yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah that it's sort of you're at sea without a paddle you know you just kind of don't know yeah um yeah kind of who you are anymore what well, yeah it's definitely yeah probably to do with both losing both parents and losing those two people who brought you up and made you feel safe well certainly in my case anyway that's what happened in my upbringing that you know they were I did feel safe with them and I felt protected by them even though you know they both suffered from dementia and Alzheimer's and couldn't have looked after me in their latter years it, there was there's just something deep rooted in in that them being a parent that they are still looking after you wherever they are mentally they're still your parents and they're still those people that loved you unconditionally and then when they're not there you get left with that overwhelming sense of being alone in the world yeah absolutely yeah 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 and I'm not thinking of, um, I'm not going to start talking about kind of, you know, what solutions are there to that, but but it has come into my head, you know, just thinking about, well, how do we, and I'm not asking you for the answers to this, I suppose I'm throwing it out there, you know, just kind of how do we ground ourselves when we've lost both of our parents? And, um, you know, I, I, I would say it probably takes time and it probably takes quite a bit of time and maybe it comes after the grieving process or through it or it's part of it. Um, I think, you know, you talked there about having therapy and um you know there are other ways we can do that can't we you know to support ourselves and other things that help us i wondered if there was anything specific that helps you at the minute in your grief i think trying to tell well trying to be kind to myself definitely mm. and um and knowing that it does take time and that it's um not to shut it down and to acknowledge it when it does come up when you do have a wave of emotion, but yeah, to accept that it will take time and it will take as long as it takes and not to be kind of annoyed with yourself or that or impatient with it to, to just accept it basically. Um, and, you know, kind of treat it possibly as a, as a learning experience as, as, um, an evolving experience that you know that you learn such a lot when you lose your parents and it is part of evolving and 
you know, maybe looking at my own parenting and what it's taught me about my own parenting to my children of what I've experienced from losing both of mine. Kind of a sense of letting go, I suppose, and, and allowing more than possibly I've done in, in the past that, you know, kind of relinquishing control and just allowing my kids to be who they are. So it changes how you parent. I've not really thought about that. <laughs> Have you been able to listen to music? Have you been able to listen to Handel's Messiah? No. No, I'm not, not listening to that yet. Every five minutes, someone in the UK dies without the care and support they need. It's time for change. With your support, we can help more people get the care they urgently need. Visit mariecurie.org.uk forward slash daffodil to donate to Marie Curie's Great Daffodil Appeal today. The last time we spoke, there was lots of change going on as well, Jane, in your life. I remember you were, you were moving or you, you'd moved or you were about to move house and your mum, you know, with, with her Alzheimer's and being in the care home. Um, and I think in the context of all that change you spoke about, you said, you spoke about having this feeling of just kind of throwing everything up in the air and seeing where it lands. Mm, yeah, I mean, I've been... Uh, <laughs> In a massive uh, place of transition over the last six years, huge transition. And, uh, you know, I've, I sold the family home last year and that was a, a huge transitional um, period as well for me because I not only moved house, but I moved cities. <laughs> so I moved to Brighton. So it was, you know, I, I kind of perhaps overloaded myself. And um, that's something that I'm realising as well, that maybe I've do, done too many transitional things uh, in the last six years. And um, and that's why I feel grounded as well. And maybe I shouldn't have left London where I lived for 40 years, which I very much did consider my home. I think being in a new city, even though it's lovely and I've made lots of really nice friends, I think maybe that was a bit uh, one too many after losing my mum. Yeah, they're really big changes, aren't they? I mean, just kind of the moving, the moving house is a big enough change, but as you say, to kind of change the area as well, where you live. There was one thing, sorry, I, 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 I'm jumping back a bit. I'd asked there about the music, but also I remembered you were making, could you remind me, what was your mum's name? Barbara. Your mum's name's Barbara. Mm. Um, you'd, you, you'd either made or you were making a film of your mum. And I wondered whether you'd been able to complete that. Or... Yes, I did. And it was at Brighton Festival last year. No, the year before, actually. Yeah, it was in, it was before she died. So it was in May of 2021. Um, and I made it with my daughter. So it was kind of a film about memory. It was about my daughter's formative years and my mum's Alzheimer's and it became about kind of um, a female generational story but also about the jumble of memory and how kind of similar, you know, sort of an infant's memory is to, you know, a person with Alzheimer's and it's just a big jumble. Uh, and uh, uh, I really loved making that film and my daughter did the music for it, Molly my daughter did the music which was really beautiful and um a brilliant designer created an egg within the shop 
within this shot that it was shown in. And so um, the audience were able to sit in this egg and see this film being projected in two parts of the egg. It was called Yolk and Aliens. And my daughter's film was Yolk and my mum's film was called Aliens. (laughs) How fantastic. And um, how did it go down? I mean, how was it received? Was it kind of people enjoy it? Yeah, they did. I think they found it very moving, mm-hmm. um, particularly my mum's story. I think a lot of people related to that hugely um, because we used sort of uh, imagery that my mum had talked about when she was in her Alzheimer's state of seeing things that looked a little bit like aliens. So we used kind of quite weird imagery as well. So it was sort of like we were trying to kind of, you know, trying to surmise what was going on in my mum's mind during that time and all this jumble of just disjointed memories. Something else about the um, about that kind of just being in the moment. So children being in the moment and then somebody who has Alzheimer's or, or a dementia, you know, where, where things can be very momentary, momentary, momentary. And uh, I know parents who have young children when, um, you know, there's been, say, a grandparents died and, um, you know, they, they'll say, oh, well, one second they can be crying about the fact that a nanny's not there. And then a second later, you know, they're sort of running around and playing again and it just goes um I mean that's exactly it yeah and that's exactly what I experienced from my mum um I mean I remember my auntie saying that she'd gone to visit my mum and uh when my auntie arrived my mum was chatting away to another guy in the home I mean just gobbledygook you know but their language and my auntie arrived so this man moved away and my mum completely ignored my auntie and wouldn't talk to her and turned her face away from her until my auntie kind of like ran out of things to say and so I said well I'll, I'll be going now and then she left and my auntie said as soon as she left the man jumped back into the seat and my mum then stuck carried on talking gobbledygook to the man you know animated and happy um so it's uh it is so interesting you know, like you say those momentary kind of things that they can jump from one thing to the next I mean what I found you know, I did find the Alzheimer's quite fascinating, hence, you know, sort of why I made this film, because I just thought it was it was fascinating, the memory. And because my mum wasn't in a distressed place with it, and, you know, because she saw these visions that sounded like they were aliens, I thought, what if the brain has gone into a different sort of receptor that you can, you know, somebody with Alzheimer's is able to access something like aliens and can see it can see something that we can't because our brains just aren't in that place. Um, When she was in the home, there was a a guy that she used to hold hands with. Uh, I never saw, I never witnessed it. The carers used to tell me that she, you know, sort of had attached herself to this man and he, her as well. And uh, and he died. And my mum then got pneumonia and was really, really ill. And... It made me think she still is emotionally connected. And whether she sort of thought, you know, whether it was still grieving for my dad in some way, that she knew this man had gone and she was connecting him to my dad. Um, but I thought it was interesting. I mean, like you say about, you know, sort of if you, if you don't process these emotions, then they come out physically. And um, that 
maybe she just wasn't able to process that sadness of losing this man who might have represented my dad to her. And then it came out in, you know, in an illness like pneumonia, which she longs is representative of grief. Um, and I, 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 I thought that was quite interesting that, you know, she was trying to process something, but, you know, kind of just couldn't, wasn't able to. That ability to still connect or feel some sort of connection, because why would you hold one person's hand and not the others? And, and you know, what, what, what's that about? And yeah, trouble is so many unanswered questions as well. <laughs> I think um, because I've been talking a lot to my auntie about my mum, which has been really lovely actually to have connected. Uh, I mean, my auntie talks about the sadness of not having my mum there anymore. And I feel like it cheers my auntie to talk about my mum's past. And um, she really does sort of love talking about my mum as a young person. And uh, I just wish, you know, sort of having talked to my auntie at length about her, that I'd able to, I'd been able to ask my mum those questions myself and kind of follow up on a lot of what my auntie's disclosed. That, yeah, I just wanted to kind of, Ask my mum her opinion on those things. Mm. And I guess it's lovely for your auntie because what she's also talking about is she's talking about her past, isn't she, and her childhood and her life with her sister. Um, and and you're hearing her stories. And actually, if your mum had still been alive, you might not have heard half of them things because you might you wouldn't have been having them conversations, maybe, with your auntie. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's definitely true. And I've, I've certainly um, gained a closeness with my auntie mm. from having these conversations. And I don't think they're necessarily conversations that she has with her own daughters. I think that, you know, because there's maybe a distance with, with us, but because I'm her niece, not her daughters, that she is able to share those stories with me, which is really lovely. But, you know, my auntie suffered, you know, kind of like one physical illness after the other because, like you talked about earlier, she hasn't really processed her grief. And again, this shutdown emotional stuff that goes on within my family is just not allowing grief to be properly processed. And it does present physically if you don't process it. And I've seen, I've witnessed that with my auntie with kind of one illness after the other. I also think, you know, because my aunt is 90, nearly 95 and, you know, most of her friends have died as well as her sister she was very close to and her husband. And you think that's a massive amount of death that she's having to, to deal with and many, many funerals that you're attending. And that's, that's a lot to take on when you're older, um, well, when you're any age. But, you know, kind of when all your friends are leaving you at such a rapid pace, it's um, kind of incomprehensible, really. And I don't know whether perhaps there just isn't enough support for older people um, around that, you know, from the National Health Service that, you know, there's not enough support or encouragement for, you know, the elderly to reach out for, you know, some grief support. 
And I think also as a society, there's so much taboo around death. You know, I was kind of interested, you know, you mentioned earlier about your brothers and said, you know, maybe just that northern male thing. And um, um, I wonder what it is, because there's something just about not having the conversations or not talking about death and dying and grief and our sadness. And um, my mother's father died when she was 11. And so when I and and you know her and my um, mum were sort of with him and um, you know they were sort of sitting with him when he died and I remember growing up from a really young age and I mean I don't think it was a bedtime story but she told she would tell me the story of those like that last hour you know with him in the flat sitting on the bed in the living room with these with with, with our mum my kind of memories of that I remember that story from as young as anything and death and dying was just always open conversations maybe that's why I do the job I do now um but those conversations were always death was always spoke about but but interestingly um my brother's four years older than me and when our parents died some of the conversations around you know uh, you know the, the kind of you know when you, when you have to do some of that guesswork around what they might have wanted whether it's for a funeral or we knew about the burial and cremation stuff but his memories of that were so different to mine and he was just like well, I don't know we never ever talked about those things I was like we talked about them all the time <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so so I think there's it, it's a kind of bigger picture, I think, isn't it, that the reasons to not talk about it or, you know, why would your brother say, well, it's time to get better? I suppose it was a protection for himself, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm guessing that, mm-hmm. but I think to shut it down in such an extreme way uh, was probably self-protection, that he didn't want to go there himself, possibly. And to shut it down was easier than discussing it or dealing with it. So it's too painful to talk about. Yeah. And you mentioned before about how um, your mum's death had impacted on some of the way you parent um, and some of your thoughts about, you know, that kind of with your children and letting go of some of, the, some of that control. Um, one of the questions you, you may recall, we, we, we also ask in this podcast is whether you think about your own death. And I know that you told me last time that is something you do think about and you have thought about and you have thought about your own death. I wondered whether any of that thinking had changed since your mum's died. But no, I still think about it and I don't feel frightened of it. You know, I kind of think it'll happen when it happens. I'm not, you know, sort of building up any preventatives. I don't kind of race to the doctor and think I must take this and that and the other to prevent (laughs) um, the inevitable. I think when the inevitable happens, it happens. And, you know, I'm kind of cool with that. I don't fear it. I want to be cremated when I die and I am you know I've kind of written that in my will and it was something that I've I think I've kind of always maybe not always wanted certainly in my adult life and um and my dad was cremated but then my mum died she wanted to be buried and she was buried um and she was really I mean you know that was something that was really important to her and 
I remember afterwards because was, it was so lovely, the funeral, because um, we had a graveside service. And um, so everybody was just around the grave and it was a sunny day and everybody who'd arrived and I went up to Newcastle, you know, on the train and I arrived and there were neighbours and stuff and people were there. And then when the car arrived with the coffin, the car just sort of drove through the cemetery and we all walked behind it, like up to the gravestone. So there was something so lovely about it. And afterwards I was thinking, oh, Maybe I should get buried. <laughs> <laughs> I've reverted back to the cremation, but um, but it it did change my thoughts about that. Um, and and I mean, I suppose that, that just leads me to you know talking about that importance of getting stuff written down and getting wishes written down and having things documented, not only if they're important to you and things that you want, but also they can make things a bit smoother for those who are left behind and doing some of those practical planning and practical arrangements. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, I put in my will actually what I want for my funeral. <laughs> I mean, not specific what kind of who I want to kind of plan it if they are if they outlive me <laughs> with mm -hmm. my children you know then I'd want kind of a much more sort of uh kind of freer funeral I think something that was um I don't know kind of more I mean I'd, I'd say that I was a Christian but I, I want to say that I'd like more of a pagan <laughs> funeral um mm -hmm in that I quite like it to be about the earth and going back to the earth and um, so yeah what I definitely you know I suppose in an ideal world in in the woods or somewhere somewhere that's kind of surrounded by trees and yeah um nature activity is legacy something that's important to you I mean when I think about my mum and dad's legacy I think their legacy is hugely important to me because they were decent people. So being decent and um, trying to evolve as a decent person is very important to me. Um, kindness, they were both kind. And I'm not saying that I'm a kind person, but that's something that I got to learn more of. And um, I think that I, when, when my mum died, I, um, well, not immediately afterwards, but because I still had the image of her in the home with Alzheimer's. I had a portrait painted of her when she was about 36 on a holiday that we went on uh, with my brother's school. And um, certainly a guy on this trip took photographs of our family. And uh, there's this one of my mum, like I say, when she was about 36, and it's like just full of life and, uh, and vitality. And... Um, it's in black and white, so I had the artist paint it in colour and she had, you know, this kind of, this vibrant red hair. So it's all these kind of like red colours in this painting and it's in my flat and I look at it every day. And I find that is a legacy That's because that's inspirational to me because I look at that and I think, look at that energy. It's just so positive. Um, so, yeah, if, if I'm thinking in terms of my own legacy, I'd like it to be, I mean, we're all dust at the end of the day. You know, it's not like, a, you know, kind of I'm thinking legacy in terms of, you know, kind of career and my acting, but legacy in what, what I've learned and what I've, um, you know, sort of been able to bring to people. And, um, yeah, um, being a decent person, basically, that's, uh, that's the 
had to just want that to be my legacy. <laughs> mm, about the qualities that you leave people with and, 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 and there's something about values, I think, as well and in, in what you're saying and, um, you know, that they carry on because people, people see the value in them. Sure. Um, you know, you see what being decent brought your mum and dad. Yeah. And has then brought you and that you want to be decent you'd want your children to be decent and the people around you and yeah you know and that's what i admire in others you know i admire mm. you know kind of people who were, who were authentic to themselves you know i think my mom and dad were very authentic there was kind of nothing pretentious about them or dishonest about them they were purely themselves there was no pretense so um i think me not me as an actress because obviously that is pretense, but um, but me as me is um, that's kind of yeah what I strive for, I suppose. Last question: How has it been, Jane, today being back on the Marie Curie couch? I've found it very ther- therapeutic, actually. I mean, I I didn't think that I was going to cry, um, and it just makes me realise how um, how much it's still on the surface the grief and that it's triggered very easily which in a way is a good thing and it's it's made me realize that I should take more of these opportunities to let it go to let it out and um and I think that's really healthy so I think it's been a healthy conversation for me to be able to talk about these things and hopefully you know share them with others and you know maybe other people I will identify with it and you know hopefully it will help somebody <laughs> mm, i'm sure it will I, I mean that and and um thank you for coming back and talking and thank you for sharing some of barbara's story and um it's just been great to see you again oh well you too thank you so much thank you for having me So that's all for this episode of On The Marie Curie Couch. We hope it's got you thinking about matters of life and death and perhaps starting those conversations with your own friends and family. Marie Curie's here to help. From planning ahead to coping with bereavement, you can talk through any concerns you have around the end of life with our support line team, which also includes specially trained nurses. Call us on 0800 090-2309 or search Marie Curie online. This podcast is produced and edited by Marie Curie with support from Ultimate Sound and Vision. The music featured is Time Lapse by Pan Oceanic. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. Thanks for listening and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>